The Pac-12 Conference finally released its conference schedule for the 2023 season for football, and I think it did UCLA some favors, and they might even have a better season because of it. Let's dissect it on Locked On UCLA. You are Locked On UCLA, your daily podcast on the UCLA Bruins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey everybody, it's your favorite host, it's Zach Anders and Yoxlammer. Thanks for tuning in to the Locked On UCLA podcast. It's free wherever we get your podcast, and it's available also on YouTube. Thanks for liking, commenting, subscribing. Thanks for your support. Hit that subscribe button if you have not already. In the meantime, let's talk about the recently released Pac-12 football schedule. The Bruins already knew who they are going to play in the first three weeks of this season, the non-conference. We were just waiting to see how the conference schedule was going to turn up. And what's funny about football is we pretty much know every year, except for the Bruins with them moving to the Big Ten, that you're going to know who you're playing year in, year out, almost for the most part, during which part of the season. But with the new emergence of Colorado being a national threat because of Deion Sanders and their intrigue, Utah with Cam Rising coming back, USC, of course, Oregon with Bo Nix coming back, Washington, Michael Penix Jr., it almost you wondered, where was UCLA going to fit in the eye test and importance of national relevancy? heading into the 2023 fall in terms of how they would schedule where the Bruins would fit with an interesting roster heading in for Chip Kelly this season. And where they ended up putting the games in of importance for UCLA, I think helped up helped out the Bruins quite a bit, despite some interesting matchups here and there. So let's get to the 2023 schedule. The three games we already know that were on this schedule, the non-conference games, Coastal Carolina, September 2nd, San Diego State, September 9th, and North Carolina Central, the defending national, the defending HBCU national champions, the black college national champions from the FCS in the NC Central. They actually beat Jackson State and uh, Deion Sanders in the Celebration Bowl. So that's an interesting matchup for the third and final non-conference matchup. And where does Pac-12 play start for UCLA? Well, it starts November 20, excuse me, November, <laughs> September 23rd, at Utah. So the Bruins get the defending Pac-12 champs with their starting quarterback coming back on the road and compared to where they started last year at Colorado where Colorado was in the previous season at the bottom of the barrel, the Bruins will have an immediate test right out of the gate, albeit after coming off of an FCS opponent from the HBCU world. So for the Bruins it's almost a game where you have a mini bye the week before, rest preparation after some interesting tests in week one and week two and yet the Bruins get Utah out of the way early, as some might have noted, as I also noticed. It's not late in November. It's not when it's cold in Salt Lake City. And we'll see when they put this game either in the afternoon, if they put it at night. Either way, whoever's starting at quarterback, whether it's Dante Moore from Detroit, Michigan, he could handle the snow. You know, Colin Schley from back east, they can probably handle the cold. But it's better not to play Utah late when a lot more is riding on the game. We've seen teams when you're competing for Pac-12 championships for even things greater like New Year's Six Bowls, college football playoff recognition with this being the last year of the 14 playoff, you take that early loss and barring some craziness kind of like this most recent year, you can take the early loss and still be a conference champion and then make it into the college football playoff. This year was a little bit of an exception considering how everything went out, but the Bruins start at Utah, an immediate test, and while I don't want to say it gets easier after that, 
it's nice because the Bruins get Utah out of the way early. Then you go on your bye in week five. So Utah comes week four. You get your bye week five. Washington State, which is the Pac-12 home opener. So for the Bruins, they won't have a conference home game until October. So a full month goes by. That means the students can come back and we'll be all excited, maybe a little disappointed, depending on how that Utah game goes, for them to play Wazoo, which will be a tough home game. But we'll see how the Bruins take on the Cougars. And then back-to-back road games. You get Oregon State, Stanford. Of course, Stanford, they just hired the new head coach, Troy Taylor, from Sac State. And then Oregon State, everybody's expecting them to be exciting with DJ Oyangale and Research Stadium. I believe all their home facilities for the Beavers in Corvallis will be ready. So it should be a full-capacity crowd in Oregon State. So that'll be a tough one after the Wazoo game. Then you get Colorado at home the week kind of of Halloween, October 28th, at Arizona, home versus ASU in week 11, at USC in week 12 on 11-18, November 18th. And then you take on Cal, what could very well be the end of a long-standing, one of the longest continuous, continuously played rivalries in football against Cal on November 25th at home. So again, six home games, six road games. The Bruins get the Utah game early. After they play an FCS opponent at home, they get a buy after to recover, reset, recalculate how they did in what should be one of the favorites, the one, two, three, four, maybe five favorites in this ridiculous Pac-12 season that will be upcoming. And then you play Wazoo a home game. And then the only time all season long where UCLA either has back-to-back home games or road games comes against Oregon State and Stanford. And while Oregon State will be the tougher test, it'd be important that the Bruins don't get too beat up before playing Stanford. And it's good that they get Oregon State before Stanford, in my mind, because you don't want to get caught looking forward to Oregon State as opposed to getting caught playing Stanford after. So the Bruins get Stanford and then Colorado. We don't know what Colorado will look like. They could be more exciting. They could be good. They could be overhyped to year one before Deion Sanders makes it more entertaining in year two and year three and gets his team where he needs it to be. But you'd rather have that Stanford game in the middle where you're expecting the Cardinal to probably be a rebuilding team. And the Bruins can kind of, they have a little chunks. They have the game here and then another opponent after that. Not a crazy schedule. They had Utah, Colorado, they had Utah, excuse me, Utah, Oregon in back-to-back weeks. It's not like they have that stretch this season. There's not two crazy back-to-back games in this season, in my mind, you do have back-to-back road games, but not two games where you look at them going back-to-back and think, hey, those are the level of playing Utah and Oregon in back-to-back games like UCLA had in 2021 and in 2022. That is not on the schedule. But an early buy for the Bruins, one, in week five. So UCLA will have to play eight straight games to end the regular season. And unlike their crosstown rival, they do not get a bye before the Pac-12 championship game. But what's interesting to note, when UCLA goes to USC, which will be USC's regular season finale, the Bruins will have a game after that in week 13. The Bruins will have played, if I can do my math right, one, two, three, four, five, six consecutive games. And with USC, they will have played eight consecutive games because their bye is actually early. They have a week three bye. So despite it being the Trojans' regular season finale, hosting the Bruins in week 12, UCLA will have played two less weeks in a row than USC has. So despite what will be a hype matchup, SC probably favored at home, the defending Heisman winner, you have Lincoln Riley, all that nonsense, yada, yada, yada. 
you're probably going to have a beaten, battered up, and kind of, you know, beaten team, beaten up team in USC who also retained their defensive coordinator. I know you Bruins fans love to hate on Bill McGovern, but hey, USC retained their own defensive coordinator, I believe, Alex Grinch. So, you know, we'll see what the defenses for both teams, the offenses, what both teams look like in uh, in November, mid-November, November 18th, when UCLA goes to USC in the Coliseum. I know that's nobody's favorite place to go. But UCLA gets that game, and USC has to play nine straight games to end the regular season, with that one being the ninth straight. UCLA, they do have that earlier bye, I mean, that little later bye, week five, but you rather have two less weeks of wear and tear than what USC will have by the time they play that game. And then after that, you get Cal. And what's important to note after that USC game, when you're playing Cal, you get it at home, yes, and it's not on a short week. So of this season, there are no short weeks for the Bruins. They're all on Saturdays. And barring last-minute switches, which could happen on a week one game against the Coast Carolina, but I'm not sure that's going to happen Barring any crazy last-minute switches that TV contracts do, the Bruins have no short weeks, no Black Friday game after the SC game for a letdown or a potential letdown, no weird, all right, we got Washington on Friday after a Pac-12 opener. Oh, wait, Washington's actually a lot better than we thought, so that's a big-time nationally prime, nationally televised game. No, all you Bruins fans should get to the Rose Bowl. They're all Saturdays. I can't comment if they're going to be 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. or 10 a.m you know, what what those times of all the games will be. But I think UCLA should be very fortunate for what they had in a schedule. It's not two crazy back-to-back games, no short weeks. And when, when they play SC at the end of the season, one, they don't get the short week for the game after it. Two, they have a home game before the USC game against Arizona State. So they will be in state for a couple of weeks before the SC game. And SC will have that. That'll be their ninth straight game compared to UCLA's seventh straight game following a bye. So maybe that could lead to a UCLA win in 2023. Who knows? But I think this could set up the Bruins nicely, considering the, the non conference will be tougher than it was the most recent season. You got Coastal Carolina with Grayson McCall coming back at San Diego State in what should be a crazy environment September 9th, and the NC Central game before the Utah game. With it not being in the cold, I think that'll be crucial for the Bruins. With all the transfer portal gets, UCLA is giving Dante Moore or Colin Schley or even Ethan Garbus, whoever's a quarterback, they're going to have weapons. In the running backs, tight ends, receivers, they will have weapons. When they get defense, who knows? But it's key that they can go to Utah in September and it won't be cold and they won't have to deal with all that weather. It'll be nice. SC late, they'll be beaten up. I, I think this is... Honestly, not a horrible schedule, you know, for a team that has to have no short weeks with the team that generally is as hyped up as even Kyle Ford mentioned it, I believe to Greg Biggins in his most recent interview explaining why he went from SC to UCLA, the nutrition and the conditioning for Chip Kelly and the Bruins, important. So when they have those seven straight games to end the season, maybe the Bruins can beat up on teams that are broken down and most importantly, not break down themselves. I can't talk about defensive schemes. Well, the Bruins can look just fine and dandy while playing in this one. So while we're all hyped, no short weeks, the highlights, only one back-to-back stretch of road games. And overall, there's not a back-to-back stretch of games where you think, hey, those are two very tough games in a row. Arguably week one, week two, other than just the usual gauntlet of Pac-12 play in general, there are no two Oregon-Utah games back-to-back. 
like they've had in years past or in the previous decade. That is not what UCLA has in their final year of a Pac-12 member. So could they very well compete for a Pac-12 title? That's up to the Bruins to decide if they can develop what they have, maybe get even more on defense. They could be a, a dark horse in 2023. All right. Thanks for coming to my rants about the UCLA 23 schedule. We're going to move on and talk UCLA hoops, previewing this matchup against Arizona State. Kind of keys, what to know about the Sun Devils, what they've done this year, and some key news and notes for UCLA basketball with Amari Bailey out. What can they do? Who's going to step up? We'll talk about it. But after we tell you about Bet Online, Bet Online is your number one source for all your sports betting information, news, and analysis. You can get your latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro, pro football, everything with the playoffs, all of it, maybe even early odds for the 2023 season with the schedule for the Bruins. Go check out college football odds, basketball, everything they've got it all with betonline.net. If you love your sports podcast with betting fixes, BetOnline's got that too. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts, where it starts. And where we start this second segment of Locked On UCLA, we're talking hoops. And while I've kind of talked about Amari Bailey being out, I haven't exactly introduced to some of you guys watching, listening at home, either in podcast, audio form, or in video form, the Arizona State Sun Devils. Bobby Hurley, he's a good coach. He's kept this Sun Devil program not just relevant, but now growing here into another year in his tenure. And the Bruins are taking on a very interesting Arizona State team. How interesting? Well, you're not really sure what you're going to get. They're not up and down. They're not a Jekyll and Hyde. But this is a 15-3 and Sun Devil team who is and 6-1 in Pac-12 play. The only team besides UCLA that has won, or UCLA's case, fewer losses. So this is another bout for first place in the Pac-12. The Sun Devils have won four in a row, and they are 8-1 and one in their home arena. For the Sun Devils, these are their key wins. They beat Michigan by 25 on a neutral floor in Brooklyn. They beat Colorado on the road, an interesting one-on-one, one. maybe not that one, but they beat Creighton by two on a neutral site as well. And then most recently went and swept Oregon. And at what some teams have not been able to do this year, they beat Wazoo, although they did get Wazoo at home, but they beat Wazoo by six. So those are some interesting wins. You know, beating Michigan by 25, it's always good to beat on the Big Ten, as UCLA will soon learn to, learn to find out. So you beat Michigan. They were able to hold serve, win their conference opener at Colorado, hold off against Stanford, beat SMU on the road. So those are some interesting wins, enough to maybe build a resume, winning it on the road at Oregon by 17. That's rather impressive considering Oregon just blew out Arizona. So Arizona State's got some good wins, some decent wins. They need a good signature win, which is what the Bruins pose as a big, juicy matchup to have at home on a Thursday night primetime affair. But again, this is an Arizona State team that's lost on the road at Texas Southern, who I believe just picked up their first SWAC conference win. They lost at Texas Southern in overtime by a point. Remember, in the pre-conference season, in the non-conference, a lot of these Pac-12 teams were suffering some horrible losses from Utah to Arizona State. It was only UCLA and Arizona who didn't have these weird, ugly non-conference losses. Well, Arizona State lost at Texas Southern. By one in overtime. They then went out 
And right as Arizona State, right as everybody in the country had kind of forgiven them for beating Creighton, blowing out San Diego, getting a road win at SMU before the Arizona matchup on New Year's Eve, they went out in the middle of the week to San Francisco, who I've seen in person and did not think was a tournament team, a decent team in the San Francisco Dons, who almost took down Gonzaga a couple weeks ago the same night UCLA played SC. But against the Dons, they go and lose to them by 37 on the road, 97 to 60. You can't just go turn around, get inserted in the top 25, in the, and get smacked around by that losing by 40. Mind you, Arizona State was without Desmond Cambridge Jr., who is one of their leading players, the reigning Pac-12 player of the week. He did not play in that San Francisco game. So that is key to note. But not there's not going to be a lot of forgiveness and leeway for going to San Francisco and losing is one thing, but losing by 40, you're not going to get that much leeway. So that's there. And they turned around, lost to Arizona by nine at home. And then after that, they've won all their games in a row. So this is what the Bruins are facing. And is their Arizona State team that's got the reigning Pac-12 player of the week, a team that plays some of the best defense in the country, where it comes down to a top eight team in field goal percentage defense. And they can shoot the three at times, five and oh, when they hit 10 or more threes, unbeaten 10 and 0 when they score 70 or more points, and they can out rebound you despite being a guard oriented offense. So, this is a team, not exactly Jacqueline High, they have some weird losses. Arizona won, of course, forgivable, even if it's at home, but the Texas Southern and then losing to San Francisco by basically 40 on the road are games that just don't make sense. And just like how UCLA blew that Illinois game in November and went back and forth with Baylor, UCLA's turned the corner and played a lot better. Arizona State, not as long, not as tested, but they've turned a slight corner, winning four in a row, which leads us to our news and notes and thoughts in segment three for Locked On UCLA. The Bruins come here. Again, Mario Bailey's not expected to play, at least at the recording of this podcast, he's not expected to play, at least in the Arizona State matchup, probably not the Arizona game, still dealing with those foot and foot issues. And Mick Cronin wants his young freshman to be good for, you know, maybe going to the draft, being good for his pro career, and be good, most importantly, for the Bruins when it comes down to crunch time, middle end of February, heading into the peak season, that is March Madness, and hopefully playing into April. So what does Arizona State pose as a difficult matchup? Well, when you go to Arizona on Saturday, UCLA is going to play a big-oriented team. The Wildcats, 6'11", 7-footer, those are your two guys in Balo and Tubelis, the Lithuanian and Balo. Those are guys you got to figure out when you play the Wildcats. That is a battle of bigs in the post that Arizona plays. Two bigs, which UCLA will have to contend with. Arizona State's a little different. They are more guard-oriented, and as I've already mentioned earlier this week, Mick Cronin kind of alluded to them as a Golden State Warriors-esque team when they can shoot well, shoot as well as they did against Oregon, hitting 10 or more threes and winning by 17. When they're shooting well, they play defense, and they can out-rebound you. And they're more guard-oriented offense under Bobby Hurley. Again, Desmond Cambridge Jr., remember the name? He's way back when, at Brown for a couple of seasons, played there, the Ivy League Rookie of the Year, set Brown's freshman record for scoring. Then, after going from Brown, went to Nevada, had to sit out for transfer rules, 1920, and then... With the COVID season in 21-22, or 2021, excuse me, got that back, but played two years at Nevada, twice honorable mention or a third team in the Mountain West where 
He averaged about 17, 15 a game out in Nevada. And then for his final season, paired with his brother, Devin Cambridge, who transferred from Auburn to come join him and make a Cambridge duo in a starting five for the Sun Devils. The two of those players combining for nearly eh, 23 to 25 of the Arizona State points. So for Arizona, while it does focus a lot on Desmond Cambridge Jr., the reigning Pac-12 player of the week, heating up, had a big game, big couple of games in Oregon. You have Devin Cambridge, who came over from Auburn to come play with his brother with another year of eligibility. And then you have DJ Horn, who averages 12 points per game. Frankie Collins, who averaged 12 points per game. So that's four Sun Devils who largely make up the starting rotation, except for a game here and there between a Frankie Collins or Cambridge Jr. missing for one various reason or the other. The Bruins, it's four starters for ASU that can average 10 or more points, that can hit the three ball and can be very streaky, but they get after it defensively. If you ever heard this stat called steal percentage, well, they get after it just like the Bruins do. They're amongst the top in the conference when it comes to steal percentage. And with UCLA already missing a, a key component of their best six to seven, dare I say eight, UCLA players. Of course, Bailey amongst the top six with Singleton and the other four. UCLA, without Bailey, they got all their scoring from the starting five against Colorado. I don't think that's going to cut it when you're playing against Arizona and Arizona State this week with teams, one, who are big in the post like Arizona, and two, who can defend like the Sun Devils can. Again, a top eight team in the country when it comes to field goal percentage defense heading into this game. Not that Utah wasn't any less tough. They have a better number than Arizona State. USC is amongst the top 12 to 15 teams at defending when it comes to field goal percentage defense. So by the time UCLA is done through Pac-12 play, they'll face arguably some of the best defenses through the regular season and say they have to go play Houston in an Elite Eight, Sweet 16, Final Four, National Championship game, one of the best defenses in the country. The Bruins will have said, we went on the road to ASU and had to play Utah and USC. So they, they will be tested with the team that maybe doesn't have the full depth offensively that they might have had in the past, but they'll play some good defenses. And Arizona State is one of them when it comes to defending shots and finding ways to eliminate points in the paint and get buckets. So Arizona State can blow you away. If they score 70 or more, Arizona State is 10-0, albeit the Bruins have not allowed 70 points except in their two losses. So if Arizona State hits the glass, hits threes, it could be a long night for the Bruins. And something to note, speaking about the lack of depth, David Singleton, as great as he has been this year, as much as I've advocated him, advocated for him to start, even when Amari Bailey comes back, Singleton has been ice cold from three of the last two games, 0 for 9. Ironically, as I mentioned, against a Utah team that's one of the best at defending the three, and then Colorado, where nobody in a UCLA uniform for the first what, 25 minutes could buy a bucket? They couldn't walk up to whoever had the lid over the rim and go get a bucket. They couldn't just walk up and drop the ball over the brim into the net without it clanking and bouncing off, even with nothing impeding the ball going through the net. That's how bad they were shooting against Colorado. So Singleton is 0 for 9 from 3's last two games. That will not cut it, especially with the shorthanded Bruins team in terms of the backcourt and with Bailey coming out not playing, most likely, heading into this week. So then Singleton hit some threes. They need some depth scoring this UCLA against an ASU team that, if they get hot, the Bruins might get run out of the gym. I don't think that's going to happen. But again, the last two times the Bruins have headed to Tempe, they've gone to overtime. Triple overtime last year 
87-84. That wasn't even a good ASU team. Mind you, they hit the portal hard in the offseason. Two seasons ago, they went to overtime. A Bruins win. But this is a game that UCLA would love to win. Set up a top 10, top 12 matchup against Arizona on Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, depending on where you watch the game. But for UCLA, this is in a very intriguing, important matchup, considering it is for first place in the Pac-12. And to maintain that one to two line on the seed line, you want to get this win. And I've already dubbed this carnage week for ba- college basketball, as I said in the most recent episode. What do I mean by carnage week? This gives me the feeling with all the matchups like UCLA at Arizona State and at Arizona. What's already happened in the top 25 in college basketball in the first couple of days of this week already at the time of this recording. Kansas last night, number two Kansas, lost at K-State in overtime by a point, K-State number 13 in the country. Number seven Texas lost to Iowa State. I believe it was at Iowa State, who was number 12. They lost to them by 11. The only unbeaten team at ACC play in Clemson, number 19 Clemson Tigers, lost to Wake Forest, 87-77, a Wake Forest team in the Demon Deacons who are tough to beat at home. And are the Bruins going to be the next team on that list? Purdue barely won at Michigan State by a point earlier this week on the road. So this is the week where I think we might see, ah, everybody in the top 10 takes a loss, at least one or two this week. UConn, they're in the top 10 ahead of UCLA last week. They took two losses back-to-back. This is that week for UCLA. Toughest week in the regular season as they prepare to take on ASU, which could be a more tough matchup, could be even tougher matchup than Arizona, considering the Wildcats have stumbled as of late. But it should be two loud, packed arenas, and we'll find out what the Bruins are made of. Even if it goes wrong, and they lose two in a row like they did last year in February of 2022, go back to the drawing board, you reset, you hope Bailey's healthy, and then you get ready and get ready to play them at the end of the regular season in March and say, hey, now we're ready for Bruins basketball, UCLA hoops, and trying to get that into gear come Pac-12 tournament in March Madness time. Again, can the Bruins continue to be physical? These are two teams that can play good defense, block shots, as the Bruins are slowly beginning to do. Arizona's got a lot of players who can block shots. They can hit the boards, and they can get streaky from three. It can be dangerous, but it's a good, enticing matchup for UCLA to get a quality win for a team that's receiving votes, but just not yet in the top 25 at this moment, considering they probably won't be let in unless they beat UCLA. Go Bruins! We are excited for this week in basketball. The portal's closing for football, and that might mean the fun might be over for a little bit for UCLA football in terms of grabbing recruits here and there. But we will keep you updated if anything changes before it does so. UCLA fans, get your hands in the air. Get ready for an eight-clap. Go check out Locked On College Basketball. Make that your second listen. They'll get you locked and loaded for your brackets come March and tell you everything that's happening outside of UCLA hoops and outside of the Pac-12 because we got you locked and loaded. All right, eight clap time, baby. Zach Anderson, Yoxheimer signing off. And one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. U-C-L-A. UCLA, fight, fight, fight. This has been Locked On UCLA. Go Bruins.